0: Welcome to Clinical Lab Chat, part of the Medcore Podcast Network. I'm Chris Wolski, Director of Business Intelligence for CLP, and today I'll be speaking with Dr. Artem Rakowski and Dr. Dmitry korovsky about the work they're doing to develop a more sensitive test for Lyme disease. Now, Artem is a member of the Department of Veterinary. Biopathology in the College of Veterinary Medicine and Biomedical Sciences at Texas A&M. And Dimitri is a member of the Department of Biochemistry and Biophysics also at Texas A&M. So we have the Aggies well uh, represented today. Welcome Artem and Dimitri to Clinical Lab Chat. Well, uh, we're very excited to talk to you about your work. I do want to make it very clear that you are still in the research stages and this is not unfortunately an available test not yet so let's talk a little bit about Lyme disease and about your work so Lyme disease I think you know most of our listeners are laboratorians but for those who aren't uh, for those who don't work with Lyme disease very very much uh, Lyme disease is uh, really becoming a scourge for a lot of people in the U.S. mainly because it's uh, very very tough to test for so what are some of the limitations of the current I know there's some limitations for the current testing there are tests, but there are a lot of limitations. So Artem or uh, Dimitri, if one of you would like to just kind of outline what some of those difficulties are.
1: Since I'm a Lyme disease expert on this project, so I'm going to start off with this. Uh, So yeah, there's a a test available uh, out there. It's FDA approved uh, in the United States. So Mm -hmm. called two-tier serology testing, and it's uh, made up of two actually uh, tests. One is the test, which is a serological uh, test and it's very uh, sensitive test. So uh, it can give you a lot of false positive ones. And uh, once the ELISA is uh, positive, then it is followed by a more specific test, which is a Western blotting uh, or um, an immunoassay test. Uh, And uh, uh, that test is highly specific. So Mm. Two-tiered system has been uh, a while on the market, and um, unfortunately, it has a lot of drawbacks. Uh, one of them is a poor sensitivity, especially during early stages of Lyme disease. Right. So, um, as an example, you can have a clinical symptoms, pathognomonic specific to Lyme disease, but um, as erythema migrans, that skin lesion. But at the same time, the sensitivity of that test during early stages can be up to forty percent only. Uh, mm. So it's, it has low sensitivity, and um, as the uh, disease progresses, uh, then that sensitivity becomes higher and higher. Um, but it is very important to uh, start treating Lyme disease at the early stage when uh, spirochetes are still not well hidden in the system uh, right. in the human body. So, um, so that's, that's the challenge, the right, diagnostic. A lot of people... Labs are working towards the uh, t- uh, creating better uh, tests. Uh, ideally, we want to have a direct test, or an indirect.
0: Right. So that's kind of comes to your goes to your research, which is really interesting. I, I read uh, you, you sent me some studies. I, I read over those, and uh, you and your both are very different disciplines. So your research is very multidisciplinary. So it uses uh, Raman uh, spectroscopy. And can each of you kind of discuss your role in, in this research? Maybe go go over a little bit why Raman uh, uh, spectroscopy was the method that you kind of settled on or, or the method that you're exploring?
2: Yeah, let me take uh, this question. So it, okay. it, it's completely correct. Like you said, we have not only multidisciplinary team, but we have a team of researchers that have completely different but complementary expertise to solve this problem. Our Tom is an expert in Lyme disease, whereas uh, my area of research is uh, development of innovative spectroscopic approaches that can be used to probe the chemical structure and composition of samples. And Raman spectroscopy is one of these techniques that is fully non-invasive and non-destructive. And what we demonstrated is that using Raman spectroscopy, we can uh, detect and identify different strains of Borrelia burgdorferi, the pathogen that is causing Lyme disease by the very quick and non-invasive analysis of blood, uh, both in mice and in humans. And mm. uh, we uh, expect that, uh, this method, because uh, there are also handheld instruments, can be essentially uh, performed uh, directly in hospitals or uh, analytical laboratories for the confirmatory diagnostics of Lyme disease.
0: Now, if I, if I understood the studies that, that Artem sent over to me, I say this, I think, almost every show. I am not a medical person. I'm a, I'm a writer. I've been covering uh, health for a long time. So uh, please sort me out here. Uh, but my, if I understand it, correctly though the test results are not direct it's it's more i really i find it really interesting if you could kind of describe how the results uh, or how you identify or how the results work maybe uh, in a little more detail because it's not like a direct uh, a direct sort of result it's more uh indirect if you if you know what i mean
2: Maybe, maybe I can get started and then Tom. Uh, OK, OK. <laughs> so so it, is <laughs> it is completely correct. What was done uh, by another group of researchers that utilized mass spectroscopy is that they found that uh, in the case of Lyme disease, the chemical composition of blood is changing. And these changes are quite right. drastic. The changes are uh, owned to about 30 different compounds that change in the concentration if someone gets Lyme disease. and. Uh, Raman spectroscopy is a technique that can probe the uh, composition of the sample. So what we probe is the change in the profile, the chemical profile of the blood, and through these changes Mm. we can identify the disease or we can diagnose the disease. Uh, Of course there was a a lot to go, just one second, but what is exciting at this point is Uh, the specificity, because we, uh, together with Artem, worked on like six different varieties of Borrelia burgophori, and we can differentiate between these varieties using Raman spectroscopy. But of course, there is more to do uh, to complete this work.
0: Right, right. Okay, so that was going to be my, my next question. So, this isn't just for Lyme disease. It has some potential for other types of Related tick-borne diseases.
1: I want to add to this discussion. Sure. Uh, question: uh, Your question is bad. So it's actually so far, um, uh, Roman spectroscopy shows uh, promise as being an indirect test. And right. I'm a bad guy on the team. I'm very um, always trying to be skeptical, and that, that I, I think that um, that's a that's a good thing as well. Yeah. Uh, and that's why, as, as you mentioned at the very beginning of our um, interview uh, conversation, is that it is um, it is too uh, early to be so super excited about this test. We still uh, right. a long road ahead of us, and we still have to uh, to develop those uh, multiple uh, algorithms that would allow us to be um, very specific and sensitive towards identifying Lyme disease patients. So, right. Uh, still doing the uh, the work we still continue um lucky and that's <coughs> i have to acknowledge the bay area lime foundation here uh, without their support uh, we wouldn't have been able to start this project but we got uh, emer- the emerging leader awards uh, in 2002 and that allowed us to start uh, working towards this uh, project and also we've got funded uh, last year to continue uh, to working on this project. So there's a lot of things to do as, as, as an example. for Now we are testing about over 100 samples, human samples in mm-hmm. a blind manner. So we got those samples again Some uh, uh, to acknowledge uh, the Lyme disease biobank. Uh, that's a repository of, of clinical samples. So we, we got 100, I think 10 samples from them uh, and we, uh, they are all coded, so Mitri and I do not know uh, their status, so we don't know which ones, rep- which ones represent uh, LD confirmed cases or Lyme disease negative cases. So we're doing this in a blind manner to actually um, be more objective about the algorithm that, that Mitri used to identify uh, 90 samples uh, in, in our published work. So I'm try- I'm trying to be skeptical here. People get uh, easily excited over a new test, but yeah. there's still a lot of work to do.
0: Yeah, well and I, and we talked about this in our, our pre-interview that you've you've had patients you've had patients who have shown up who are ready to give you their, their samples. Uh, yeah it also reflects the need for a better a better test so I think the excitement the excitement I think is understandable in that regard so you talked about your you are doing uh, some testing you've done i uh, I know from the uh, studies you sent me there's been some tests with um, I think animals mice in particular and now you're you're moving on to testing human samples what what's the next steps how why, why once you walk us through uh, once you walk us through what your next steps are what what kind of time Timeline. I mean, certainly, you know, there's a lot of steps, so there's a lot of variables involved, but what, what kind of timeline are we talking about with with a test like this? Because uh, I, I think that's a very interesting thing, too, because uh, we're always very anxious. Uh, I think we got, uh, with COVID, with all, with all the tests that were, it seemed like they were created overnight, I, I think that people don't understand, stand, both laboratorians and, and regular the regular public don't understand how long some of these processes take and why they take so long so maybe you can walk us through uh, a little bit about uh, your next steps beyond the human samples what's after that uh, once you once you start working out that algorithm
1: um, so the timeline is hard to predict but we have already right. this project that was uh, funded again uh, we where we're analyzing the samples human blood samples in a blind manner uh, we I think we have, uh, we are done with over a little bit over 30 percent of those samples. Um, and okay. still have to analyze the rest of the samples and submit the results to the uh, lyme disease biobank where they would decode the samples and share their results with us so but then uh, the, the next step would be to test some blood samples from human patients that are uh, free of lyme disease but there are were diagnosed with other diseases so that's that's just to address that specificity uh, specificity right uh, concern and then and then we, uh, Dmitry and I, have an idea, and I will let uh, Dmitry talk about this more, where we actually want to apply Raman spectroscopy um, um, to develop the direct test, and that's that's, oh. that's something we're okay. trying to initiate at this at this moment. We still have to get some funding for that, but there is a, a still a, a great possibility of actually using Raman spectroscopy as a direct test, and I will let Dmitry speak on that.
0: Well. To meet you, uh, I'm all ears. Let us know what uh, what this is.
2: <laughs> right. But b- Before I come to this, uh, uh, let me elaborate on what Adyom said. Th- this exactly uh, demonstrates uh, easy, uh, translatable nature of our approach uh, because uh, diseases that we want to look at to compare uh, our uh, responses, Raman responses uh, to Lyme disease uh, are uh, sepsis and syphilis, for example. So obviously doing this work, mm. one day we will have a good spectroscopic library to diagnose syphilis. Again, this will be done non-invasively, non-destructively, it's it's a big deal. Uh, and, and, And let me also add more excitement to this research. Uh, in terms of its translatable nature. Uh, my group works on diagnostics of plant uh, diseases for almost uh, five years and we demonstrated, uh, we were quite in that stage maybe four years ago, but now we understand that we can detect viral diseases, we can detect uh, bacterial diseases and fungal diseases in plants and uh, we already commercialized this approach in regards to the plant research. So so I mm. uh, a, a bet bad, a bad exciting news will come soon, but Like Artyom said, there is a way to enable direct diagnostics and for this, we want to utilize nanostructures that will have very high specificity towards uh, specific molecules to the Borrelia burgopheri. And through this specificity, we will be able to uh, detect and identify these uh, molecules that are the markers of diseases. And the really exciting news is that specificity and selectivity of this approach approach is very high and i should say that this nanoparticle approach is capable of single molecule detection so uh, so uh, we we definitely expect to have very great sensitivity but also this will also uh, will kind of improve uh, the approach itself because unlike indirect uh, it will be direct yeah
0: Oh, that's very exciting. So I uh, I can't wait to hear more about uh, about your next steps there. But unfortunately, we've come to the end of our time today. Artem, Dimitri, thanks again for taking time to speak to me about your work. Please keep us updated. I think this is something that's it's really exciting. I think it's a really exciting approach, uh, really different, and I think it's also really imp- really important work you're doing uh, doing. Uh, you know, tick-borne diseases are just so horrible. Uh, I've, I've had relatives who've had Lyme disease and and they really had to struggle quite a bit so i know how important it is to have a test Uh, i also want to thank uh, the laboratory audience for listening as always and look for more episodes of collab chat in the year and visit us online at uh, clpmag.com and all the main media platforms next time